0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
0: I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Tim Murtaugh, welcome to the program. It's good to have you on, sir.
1: Great to be with you, Bill. Thank you.
0: Tim is the Director of Communications for Donald Trump's re-election campaign, and we thought it was especially poignant now to have this conversation. We are exactly 100 days away from the convention, allegedly, Tim, Charlotte, North Carolina. We think it's going to happen, and we're about five and a half months away from the general election in early November. Today, where does the election stand?
1: We feel the president is in a really good spot. So, you know, We we continue to, to monitor everything that goes on in key states that we're looking at. And we know that the president is in as solid a position as he was, uh, let's say, three, four months ago. Uh, The American people have seen the president leading the country in this time of coronavirus crisis. And he's been focused on two things, really. One, protecting the health and safety of the American people. And two, doing his best to safeguard the economy. And now we know that uh, the president wants to get things open, get the economy back open. And he's an optimistic guy. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of reporters come to us and say, oh, but your economic argument is all shot to hell. Well, no, actually, quite the contrary. We believe that the economic argument is even more salient now. Everyone knows that it was under President Trump's leadership that the American economy reached unprecedented heights. And it was artificially interrupted by the coronavirus. And he did it once and he'll do it a second time. He is clearly the candidate whose policies will lead us back to the, the place. of prosperity. So there,
0: when you're of- sitting there, you're in Alexandria, Virginia, correct? Correct. Uh, I'm here in New York City. When you're in your meetings, how do you gauge the effect of the coronavirus on this election?
1: Um, well, it, it, uh, it really drove everybody into the virtual realm, that's for sure, but it's a time when the president's leadership came out. Look, I think the, the direct contrast between what people have seen from the president and what people have not seen from Joe Biden, and quite literally not seen Joe Biden, um, the president has been out front leading the country, taking decisive action, uh, and every step of the way, Joe Biden has offered nothing nothing but partisan criticisms from the sidelines. Every word that comes out of Joe Biden's mouth is meant to undermine public confidence in the federal government's response. You know, it used to be that when America faced a big crisis as a nation, we would unify as Americans and face it together. Well, Joe Biden has thrown that principle completely out the window. So on the one hand, Americans can see President Trump out front fighting for the country, and they can see Joe Biden fighting him while he's doing that. And really, we think that that contrast is is what uh, really, really defines uh, the president's leadership versus Joe Biden's, frankly, irrelevance.
0: Here's you know, what I'm seeing today, Tim. And this discussion is happening on Thursday yeah. afternoon. So when listeners get a chance to hear this over the coming two, three days, let's say, um, the president is in eastern Pennsylvania, Lehigh Valley. And we have a Fox poll that shows Joe Biden. This was April 18 to 21. Joe Biden at 50% and Donald Trump at 42. That shows that your campaigns underwater in Pennsylvania by eight points. What do you make of yeah. that?
1: We, well, we don't that poll. We make nothing of that poll. We we put no stock in that poll. We know what we see uh, in our own internal data. And the president is in solid shape in Pennsylvania as he is in, in the other states that we're tracking. And let me tell you exactly why. President Trump, again, as I said, the economic argument, we believe, is very solid. President Trump is the one who built the economy to where it was in the first place, uh, unprecedented heights. It was artificially interrupted by the coronavirus. He is clearly, clearly the candidate who can take us back there again. Now, we know that Joe Biden is going to campaign as this blue-collar hero, Scranton Joe. Um, we, The fact is, the truth is it couldn't be farther away from that image that he's trying to portray. He's going to have to explain to people why he's not Scranton Joe. He's NAFTA Joe. And in a state, in a state like Pennsylvania, that relies so heavily on the natural gas industry and fracking for so many jobs and so much money in its, in its uh, state economy, he's going to have to explain why... AOC is the co-chair of his climate change panel within his campaign and why he has embraced the Green New Deal. And, you know, as part of the Green New Deal, it means death to the fossil fuel industries that, of course, includes natural gas that directly targets Pennsylvania. Joe Biden can't go in Pennsylvania and say that he supports the state economy when he wants to destroy a major sector. Of that economy those two things are incongruous and so uh in pennsylvania i think by, by his stance on the green new deal and his embrace of aoc and her radical extremist agenda i mean that practically concedes
0: Pennsylvania. sounds like an advertisement in the making here and I, w- I would imagine we might see some of that one thing i've been trying to get my head around is what a campaign looks like when you map this out if this is indeed virtual what does it look like for your campaign for Joe Biden's campaign.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I can tell you what it looks like for Joe Biden's campaign right now. It looks like a bunch of frozen images on computer screens, uh, images going to black for minutes at a time, garbled audio, and a candidate who doesn't know when he's on camera or not. That's what it looks like for Joe Biden. Mm.
0: Uh, But but my, my point, Tim, is that the imaginations must be vivid on both sides to try and figure out how to be effective now.
1: Well, I, I think I think all that people have to look at is what the president's campaign has been doing. This is a this is a campaign that was built on data and technology, and we were able to pivot to the virtual realm in a space of about twenty four hours, and and really not I wouldn't even say hit the ground running. We were already at full speed. Uh, we have been running. New programming every single night at eight o'clock Eastern across all of President Trump's social media channels and every one of those shows at eight o'clock every night, every single show. Has gotten over a million unique viewers, and some of them more than two and a half million viewers. And so we're reaching we're reaching voters in ways that no campaign had ever done before. Since March 13th, which is the first day we were all working remotely on the campaign, our volunteers have made almost 25 million phone calls to voters in key states across the country. That's 25 million calls in less than in about two months. That's astounding. Those are those are levels that you wouldn't see until late October before an election. And we're doing that here in the early spring. Mm. Now, President Trump is determined uh, and very optimistic that we're going to get back on the campaign trail for real. Um, You know, you see him making official trips. White House trips to Arizona. And uh, as we're speaking here today, he's in Pennsylvania, uh, and he wants to get back out and do the rallies. But in the meantime, when we haven't been out on out on the uh, the campaign trail doing rallies, we have been meeting and talking to voters. You can do that a lot of different ways. You don't have to knock on their doors to do it. And that, that's what we've been doing. And let me tell you, Joe Biden and the DNC, they absolutely can't match us. You know, if they were making this many voter contact calls, they'd be talking about it, and they're not.
0: Um. Do you think Charlotte happens in terms of a conventional convention?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The the president uh, is looking forward to that. Uh it's an important thing. the, the this will be a culmination of the four years. It's a chance uh for Republicans to renominate him, to celebrate what happened and what he accomplished in the first four years and look forward to the next four years. Yeah, there there will be there will be a convention.
0: So have you considered the downscaling of this convention? what's plan B? What does it look like?
1: Um, I don't, you know, I don't know that we talk too much about a plan B. There is a convention uh, committee of people who work there in and around the Charlotte area. And I know that they're in touch with the president, but from the campaign's perspective, we are, we are planning uh, that the campaign the, the, the convention uh, goes ahead uh, as envisioned. And so, you know, we're planning to be there uh, in, in August in
0: Charlotte in person. Mm. Do you have an opinion on the impact of the unmasking story that was revealed this week? What what is yeah. the, what is the effect of that?
1: Well, I think it just goes to show you that Joe Biden is up to his eyeballs. This is this is the thing that was really the springboard, a way to breathe life into what we now know was the Russia hoax. And it was happening now at the very highest levels of the Obama administration as they were on their way out the door. Joe Biden, just on Sunday, Sunday of this past week, was on uh, George Stephanopoulos' show on ABC uh, and was asked, you know, what did you know about Michael Flynn? And and Joe Biden said, "I, I didn't know anything about those things. I didn't know anything about the investigations. Now we know. Now we know that three days later, news broke that someone, at least someone at least on the vice president's behalf, Asked for the unmasking of Michael Flynn. And so you're telling me that Joe Biden didn't know if he didn't personally make the request. He to this day doesn't know that somebody did it for him in his office. That's ludicrous. That, that strange credulity to, to expect that he did not even, that he was not aware of that. It's a big deal. This is, this is the outgoing administration using the machinations of the federal government, the Department of Justice, the director of the FBI, and even with the knowledge of the vice president and president of the United States, because we know that Joe Biden was in the room with President Obama when this case was discussed, that they were trying to unmask an American citizen who, by the way, happened to be the incoming national security advisor. And then someone leaked that name to the Washington Post, which is in itself a crime. This is an enormous, enormous scandal, and it's shocking to me to see the majority of the Washington, D.C. press corps just sort of shrug its shoulders at this, because this is a big deal. And think of it this way for your listeners. If they can do this to Michael Flynn, they can do this to anybody. He was a general and the incoming National Security Advisor, and they did it to him. What would, what would they do to, to a regular
0: American? There, there was another political story that popped up this week in California, District 25. That was a seat that was flipped. Hillary Clinton won that district by nine points. Mike Garcia was the victor by, I think, the final count was 12 points. These suburbs northeast of L.A., what does that tell you um, when you also have an election that was won by a Republican in rural Wisconsin, which I would argue, Tim, uh, was not was not up in the air. Let's say.
1: Well, no, they're both great wins. They're both special election wins for sure. But Wisconsin
0: and was certainly I expected you would agree uh, on that.
1: Wisconsin is the the Sean Duffy seat, and so that's a good hold. I think the, that uh, the Democrats would have uh, fired off fireworks had they had they somehow managed to take that one. But of course, they 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 weren't even close. So, but it's still non- nonetheless a good win in a special election. But the California seat. Really, I think, should get a lot of attention. And I think privately, a lot of Democrats are raising their eyebrows at that and wondering what's going on, because it really showed the strength of the ground game that President Trump and the RNC have built, the Trump Victory Program. They made millions of phone calls, lots hundreds of thousands of pieces of mail in there. Um, The the ground game was tremendous. Again, even in this time of social distancing, the sheer number of voter contacts and the the get-out-the-vote effort that was made in that race is staggering. And, the, and it was and the Democrats were no match for it. This is and this is the really wor- is, bears repeating the first time that Republicans have flipped a Democrat House seat in California in more than 20 years. That's kind of a big deal, especially because the Democrats would have you believe that there's this big blue wave coming. Well,
0: we just flipped a Democrat seat in California. That race also featured a Democratic candidate, Katie Hill, who resigned her seat in Congress. Does that not take away somewhat from that victory?
1: I don't think so. I mean, the same people who were in that district and, and voted for her were, are, I presume, uh, most of them are still in the district and voting. So, no, I don't think so. She wasn't on the ballot. Uh, and, you know, I think, look, if, if the Democrats had managed to hold on to that seat, I think we're having a very different conversation today. You know, I think they would say, oh, despite its best efforts, the Republicans couldn't make headway in California. And look, this is why we think, look, the difference between 2016 and 2018, we know that there were nine million Americans nationwide who stayed home in 2018. They voted for President Trump in 2016 and they stayed home in 2018. And there, we there, you know, of course, in the 2018 midterms, uh, we lost the Republicans lost the House. It was not as many seats lost as is as, as say in Obama's first midterms, uh, but we lost the House nonetheless because a lot of those Trump voters didn't get out to vote because Donald Trump was not on the ballot. This year is a presidential year. Donald Trump's voters are engaged and they are th- enthusiastic. We still know who those 9 million voters are who stayed home in 2018. We are in contact with them. We know exactly who they are, and we have high confidence that they're coming out to vote for President Trump again. Not only will President Trump get reelected, but with the help of those 9 million new voters in those House districts that we lost in 2018, we'll get the House back as well. We know that President Trump's supporters will run through a brick wall to vote for Donald Trump. Ain't was, nobody running through a brick wall for Joe Biden.
0: That was a prediction of flipping the house there. Did I hear that right?
1: I, look, with President Trump, as President Trump wins, so do candidates who run with him. And uh, if we get the turnout levels that we want and we are planning for, I think winning the house back is, uh, is definitely, definitely something that is probable.
0: You're listening to Tim Murtaugh, Director of Communications for the Donald Trump 2020 reelection campaign. More Hammer Time after this.
2: That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in
0: home services. Back now with Tim Murtaugh. A few more topics, Tim. And again, thank you for your time and attention today. There was a story that crossed on Fox News earlier in the week. Biden campaign reaches out to disaffected Republicans who reach right back. What or how would you react to disaffected Republicans in 2020?
1: Um, I don't think there are too terribly many of them. As a matter of fact, I mean, this president has united the Republican Party to historic, unprecedented levels. He has uh, the approval of of north of 95 percent, 96 percent of Republicans in the numbers that we see and also in a lot of public polls that are out there. And so there are there are not disaffected Republicans to even really speak up. And I think that this is something where, you know, the, the Biden campaign creates this you know, shell of a coalition group saying, oh, it's Republicans for Biden. And they managed to pick a couple of former Republicans off the scrap heap and hold them up and parade them in public view. And somebody in the media bites on it. But, you know, it's fiction. President Trump has the support of nearly 100 percent of the Republican Party. We saw that during the primaries where uh, he was getting record vote totals in state after state, more votes than any other president of either party. Running for re-election, uh, he was essentially unopposed, and we didn't do anything in most of those states to get out the vote. And he still set vote records. Uh, with, look, the voter enthusiasm—it is also well known. This is this kind of flies right in the face of uh, Biden's theory there about disaffected Republicans. It's also well known that there is a huge enthusiasm gap. It shows up in public polls, which we generally uh, don't have great faith in public polls. But when you're talking about something that is a thirty or forty point gap, where people are more enthusiastic about voting for President Trump than Democrats are for Joe Biden, that there's definitely something to that. We're not concerned
0: about that. Tim, one last topic here, and this comes from a CNN poll that was released this past week. And what it found nationally, Joe Biden leads Donald Trump 51 to 46 percent. But in some of these battleground states, we're talking Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Arizona. uh, The president has an edge by 52 to 45 percent. What are you seeing in these critical states today that give you concern?
1: Uh, well, concern. I mean, we feel very solid about uh, the, the swing states. We're looking at 17 states in particular, and that's that's where we keep our focus. We know that the election is going to be decided in these 17 states, and where we look, the president is in solid position. We also just got a pullback. Uh, At the beginning of this week, that shows us in very solid position in the 17 states that we look at. The CNN poll that you're referencing shows the president with a seven point lead in battleground states. It's a different mix of states than we look at, but a lot of them are the same. Um, And so that tracks exactly what we see internally. The president is doing very well. If the election were today, he would win and win quite handily. We have no doubt of that. And also, let's remember, we have almost six months to go before the election. Mm-hmm. Joe, Biden, Joe Biden has only just recently become our presumed opponent. And we haven't yet even really begin to def- begun to define him. We've got some ads on TV about him right now and tying to his record of weakness on China, also mentioning his son, Hunter Biden, and his financial intertwining with, with China. So you're um,
0: go- you're going to make a deal out of that.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. This is, look, Joe Biden took his son, Hunter Biden, with him to China on Air Force Two. Hunter Biden came home with a billion and a half dollar deal from the National Bank of China. The obvious question is, what did the Bank of China want in exchange for their billion and a half dollars? Was it Hunter Biden's uh, business expertise Was it his snappy personality? What was it? Hmm. Or was it the fact that his father was the vice president of the United States? It's the same exact thing that we saw in Ukraine. Was Hunter Biden such an extraordinary businessman? He actually had no experience in the natural gas industry. Yet a Ukrainian natural gas company gave him a million dollars a year while his father was the VP and was the point person on American Ukraine policy. What do these foreign interests want for their money that they're throwing at Joe Biden's son? Those are legitimate questions, and, and you bet we're going to raise those. And we haven't even begun to define Joe Biden. Most Americans, they know of Joe Biden. They don't know much about Joe Biden, and that's about to change.
0: Tim, you speak with great confidence six months away from an election, 100 days away from a national convention in Charlotte, North Carolina. But what concerns you?
1: Um, you know, what what, I don't what think keeps you
0: up? What, what, what are you worried about?
1: My Well, I have two very small children. They keep me up. Um, to be to be honest with you, we have a game plan. We have we've got something that the other side could never have, and that's Donald J. Trump. Uh, we see it in the enthusiasm online. We see it with the response in our fundraising. Uh, we see it with our return and volunteers. We see we just we just see it everywhere, uh, and and we know that is that when when uh, the president. Uh, is connecting with the American people. And when we as the campaign are firing on all cylinders with our ground game, with our air attack uh, and with with our enormous, it's going to be two million strong volunteers, grassroots army
0: for Trump. Really, there's there's not anything that's going to prevent this okay. this presidential election I hope we can check in again three months from now. We will see where the state of the race is then. Tim, thank you for your time.
1: I appreciate it, Bill. Thank you.
0: Tim Murtaugh, Director of Communications for Donald Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. I'm Bill Hemmer, and this is Hemmer